0: We are glad that you have joined us today as we continue to make our way through uh,
1: the, the, the book, uh, the letter of 1 Timothy. And it seems, it seems that with each passing day, there are more and more things that call for our attention, right? Have you, have you noticed? It's not like things have gotten simpler, things have gotten quieter. It's like, it's like our world has gotten louder and louder, more and more things that are begging for their, their you know, more flashy things, shiny things, trying to draw our attention. And draw our time away. Growing up, I I played a lot of sports. I've used uh, some of those uh, uh, stories as as illustrations over the years. And uh, but in in middle school, I played uh, travel baseball, and we it's not quite the same as it is uh, today, but it was it was similar. And but there are oftentimes my team would have games on Sunday morning, and we made it a point and said, "Hey, uh, Sunday morning is for worship, and so you go win the game in the morning, and let us know when the afternoon game is." and and we'll be there as, as quickly as we could be. But it seems like over time, even from my youth, even now, it seems that more and more uh, uh, sports and other activities have crept their way into Sunday morning. It, there, there was a time that even among those who were not believers, even those who weren't Christians, even those who didn't find value in at least a, even, even occasional worship, Sunday morning was still somehow viewed as sacred in our community, in our, in our culture. Maybe some chose it to sleep in. So maybe I've maybe have, have used it as, as a time to, to go and play golf. Uh, but f- for many in our culture, there's a time when Sunday morning was a time for rest. It was a time for worship. It was a time for, uh, it was kind of a time of quiet. But even in these moments in Sunday morning, more and more noise has crept in to those hours. It used to be that you would go to work and you would literally punch the clock, right? You, you had a time card, you'd slide in and then, yeah. I, I had, had one job where, where it wasn't like a, a, a manual uh, punch card, but it, we had, it was, it, I had this little fob thingy and I, you know, a little, little card we'd, we'd put up there and it would beep, it me in and at the end of the time, my time, I would beat myself out. If you literally would, would work a 40-hour week. You'd punch yourself in. You'd punch yourself out. And at the end of the day, you'd go home, and, and your evenings were for you and your family and just relaxation. But it was it, it it so much a rhythm of our life that even Dolly Parton sang a song, working 9 to 5, right? I mean, I mean, if we wanted to, we could have just like busted that out this morning because, because all of us young and old seemed to have like known that song, right? Working 9 to 5. It was the only way to make a living. But nowadays... That's wishful thinking, isn't it? You know, the, the, the thought of punching at nine, punching at five, and that's the end of my day, that would be wishful thinking. Our cell phones, tablets, and laptops seem to keep us more and more connected to work, even when we're supposed to be off the clock. They, they did some studies, and it, they show that 17% of Americans check their email as soon as they wake up. Welcome to the world, right? You wake up in the morning, and it's like... And 17%, I'm like, I'm not among those 17%. Uh, so so if, you, if you send me an email overnight, I'm probably not going to get till sometime later in the morning. Uh, but, but 17%, the first thing they do is they wake up, they, they, they turn off the alarm and they go, what a terrible day to wake up. What a terrible way to wake up to start the day. How about, It gets even worse among uh, the, the younger generations. They say one in three millennials check their email as soon as they wake up. One in three. Our work is so crept into our personal time that we found our personal time has crept into the time that used to be devoted to God. It's been said that Americans worship their work, work at their play, they play at their worship. It, it, it's been interesting to see how, how as a, as a culture, as a society, how our values have changed over the years. And how uh, the way we devote our time, the way we devote our energies, the way we devote our resources, how they have so subtly changed. It wasn't just a landslide. It, wasn't, it didn't all happen all at once, but a slow creeping over time, slow whittling away, so eroding of our priorities that things look vastly different now than they used to. As we have done this uh, over this time, we've inflated our own egos. We've thought much more about it. We've made much more about ourselves. And as America grows more and more post-Christian, as we become more secularized, less uh, attached to some of the religious foundations of our country, we've begun to worship ourselves more and more. The word ego can easily stand for edging God out. The problem is when we edge God out, we invite chaos in. And we've seen that in our society, right? We've seen that in our culture. As we have edged God out, we've seen addictions. We've seen uh, other uh, uh, troubles, problems, strife, graze up in our life. There are some who view faith as restrictive. That somehow by following scripture, we have put a limit on our freedom. They say that edging God out has kept them from being who they are truly meant to be we've seen as more and more people edge God out, they've invited in addictions. They've invited in hurts. They've, they've, uh, there's scars in their life that could have easily been avoided. See, God doesn't force his way in. If we don't want him, he politely complies with our wishes. He might stand at the door and knock. He might call out, but God never forces himself on anyone. See, the act of edging God out, has not only limited those who, are not, who the act of God, uh, the act of edging God out doesn't just has, has not only limited those who don't consider themselves Christians. It's not limited those who only consider, not consider themselves Christians. They're even believers. People who call themselves Christians. People who have sat in our pews who
0: are quietly edging God out of their lives, little by little, without even knowing.
1: Today, we turn to 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 to 10. Uh, Paul continues, he, he looks at those in, in the church of Ephesus, the church where uh, Timothy is serving, and he knows some of these troubles, some of the problems that he's been trying to correct, uh, help, help Timothy uh, correct and diagnose in the church, have, has been because the people of the church have been edging God out. They've been pushing God out. And as they've pushed God out, and then have come some of these controversies, some of these troubles. And so Paul's going to compare two opinions. He's going to show that how instead of edging God out of our lives, the better option is that we should be exalting God only. That's what Paul writes for us. Starting with verse three. Because if anyone teaches false doctrines and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ and to godly teaching, he is conceited and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy interest And controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between men of corrupt mind who've been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain. We've brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it, but if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. People who want to get rich. Fall into temptation and a trap, and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is root of all kinds of evil, and some people, eager for money,
0: have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. Paul Paul speaks definitively here. You can you can almost you can almost hear you can see the color change in his face. Maybe
1: maybe instead of just you know, gesturing like this, maybe there's a little more of a a fizz, maybe a little more of a point. And he says, he says that that there are things, there are things that you are to teach and insist on. He says in that part, in that little part leading up, if there are things you should teach and insist on, you should urge them. He says it right before the section. He's urging, he's he's like, pay attention here. That if anyone disagrees with sound doctrine, the sound doctrine of our Lord Jesus Christ, They are conceited and understand nothing. They are conceited and they understand nothing. Paul throws down the gauntlet here. This is how you should live. This is the way you should follow. See, those who disagree have begun to teach other things. They've been mixing other teachings. Remember, as we talked uh, through some of the other earlier parts of the letter, uh, other parts of the culture are starting to make their way into the gospel. And they're saying, well, we can, we can adapt our teaching. We can adapt the message and, and add this part in and this part in. And when they're doing that, they're inviting in other controversies. And Paul's like, no, they are changing the message. They are changing the gospel. And the gospel in and of itself is sufficient. It, it is, it is uh, right. It is uh, appropriate as it is. Paul's saying, my teaching, the teaching I pass on to you is sufficient for salvation. What these other people are saying is like, eh. You know what? Maybe what Paul taught us wasn't enough. Maybe we need to invite in this other way. Maybe we, they, they somehow Paul's teaching was somehow inferior. We have, we have grown past Paul. And, and maybe we need to add in some of these other things. And Paul says that they disagree with
0: sound doctrine. That word sound. Here's with it. The idea of healthy. Of whole. That
1: it's sufficient. That's enough just as it is. It, it, there is no more that was needed. All that we need is what, 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 is what Scripture has passed on us. All we need, the, the gospel in and of itself is all we need for salvation. It is sufficient. And Paul calls those who taught otherwise as conceited and understanding nothing. He's like, if they were smart enough to pick and choose what parts of the gospel were necessary, and what parts of the gospel were unnecessary, then they would have been smart enough to choose that all of it was sufficient. But there was this conflict and they, like, we, we, they wanted to stand out. They wanted, uh, they wanted to be you know, thought of something as someone as important. They wanted to sound smart. They wanted to appear as an authority. And so they begin to edge God out of their teaching so they can feel more important. They could raise themselves up. They can have themselves as set apart. I'm going to stand out from the crowd because I'm going to change the message just a little bit. And all of a sudden, there became these controversies and difficulties between different people because they were picking and choosing what was most important. And they, they, they weren't following the sound, whole, complete, sufficient gospel that Paul had passed on to them. And when you think about it, isn't this what happened in the garden? There, the, the, the Adam and Eve were in the garden, and, and
0: Satan comes up to him and says, Did God really say you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden?
1: And, and, and all of a sudden, Eve's he, like, No, 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 no. We can't eat from all the trees. We, we, trees. we just can't eat from, from that one. He, he, she, he, because if we do, we, we, will, we will die. And Satan's like, Are you sure? Are you sure you will really die if you
0: eat? And she, he's like, we can't even touch it. We will die. And Satan's like, no, no. See, God's holding out on you.
1: He knows if you eat from that tree, you will have all this knowledge. You will know
0: everything. And all of a sudden, in Eve's heart, she begins to feel that maybe God's holding out on her. Is God
1: keeping something from us? And she sees that the fruit is good. It looks good for eating. And it would give them knowledge.
0: She falls to the lie. She takes the fruit and she eats it. And she shares some with Adam. See, Satan put in her mind
1: that God was holding on. That God was holding something back and keeping something from her. And she was... The false teachers that Paul's talking about were the same way. Like Satan, they just slowly rolled back, rolled God back out of some of his words. And he, they, they, they began to insert in a different message. a uh, One that was not necessarily helpful for bringing about uh, the life of Jesus in us. Instead, what they did was create these unhealthy controversies. Maybe you've been in churches like that, right? Where, where you, you go in and, and maybe you're, you've even been part of the family there for years, but there's just always this bickering and backbiting. And, and there's these, always these little quarrels here and there about this and that, about things that, that really aren't essential to the message. Like why, why, why is there always all this fighting? You know, churches have split over the color of the carpeting. And it's like, because... Because is there, it, it, was there a, a designated color of carpeting that was written about in scripture? You know, really, uh, the reason why so many churches, uh, the color of their carpeting is red is because if there's a communion accident, you can't see it, right? And, it's like, it's like, and so if you think about it, for, for years and years and years, because someone might possibly spill a little bit of grape juice, we must have red carpeting. And, and, and now that, that, that's somewhat wise because if you've seen some of the carpeting around our building, uh, there, we, we've had spills, and a and, 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 and number of them. But to the split over the color of carpeting just seems ridiculous because nowhere in the scripture that it says you must have red carpeting. If not, you can't be a church that honors God. And so some churches are like, hey, we're just going to do away with carpeting altogether, and we're just going to make it a, a hard surface. And can you just imagine the noise that we would have in this church if we just like, took away all the carpeting? Uh, the the kids running around, it'd be joyful, but I think we all have to go home and take some aspirin for the headache, right?
0: if he's inviting, it could result in envy and strife. Anytime we begin to take our eyes off of Jesus,
1: we always begin to highlight the wrong things. Anytime we take our eyes off of Jesus, we begin to highlight the wrong things. And so uh, I might find this important and, and you might find this important. And all of a sudden we start fighting because we've, We're no longer centered around. We're no longer unified around the most important thing. We begin to fight about issues that aren't necessary. We begin to raise our own pet doctrines and argue over what certain words mean. Instead of these being discussions and even debates that might help us grow in our faith, they begin to sow seeds of doubt and dissension. These things lead to envy and strife and malicious talk and friction and wonder We've seen that in our world today. These discussions that raise doubt begin to erode faith. Faith in people's lives who, who, had, who had found Jesus, who had found their hope in the gospel. And all of a sudden, they begin to wonder, is God holding out on them? God holding something back. Am I, am I, have I somehow missed something? And these individuals that have sowed these seeds of doubt, well, their goal, their Mission was to achieve some sort of financial gain. Like, hey, if if I can stand out, if I can appear different, if I can appear as an authority, people will come to me and flock to me and 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 support me. And all of a sudden, maybe I can get rich off of this. If I say something, if I sound just like the other person, well, why would they want to come to me instead of them? But if I stand out, then I can get my share. And if I change things up a bit, then, then people will come to me
0: They want what I'm selling because it's different. Then I can get rich. For me, preaching the gospel and being a minister has never been about making a name for myself. It's never been about
1: getting rich. And with Paul, I can confidently say that godliness with contentment is great gain. Not that... Uh, and not that my entire life would look godly. I'm sure there are other areas in my life. There are areas in my life that, that, that I'm I fall short regularly. And you'd be like, y- you fall on that. There's issues there. How, how 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 do we how do you struggle with that? I, I, and...
0: But all I know is the more I walk closely with Jesus, the more I'm content with what He gives me. there's a great gain and there's a great
1: joy in my life. And throughout this entire letter. Paul continues to say over and over and over again, that if you want to build a church that honors God, godliness must be at the heart of it. A pursuit of a relationship with God, a a foundation formed on scripture and following in step step with what scripture says to the best of our abilities. Not that we're going to get it right all the time. For we all sin, for we all fall short of the glory of God. We, We all are in need of forgiveness daily. But godliness must be at the heart of our pursuit. That's why Paul has continued to come back to that over and over again. We see this consistent connection to the teaching of Paul provided for Timothy and the Ephesian church that is founded on the scriptures. There's something significant about those words, these words that Paul has shared, words that point people to Jesus. And the more we point people to Jesus, the more we point them to godliness. These false teachers, they were looking for financial gain, as if riches here somehow equal uh, equate to riches there after death, and Paul points out, we brought nothing in, we brought nothing out. We can take nothing out. I, I was there for uh, uh, the birth of all three of my children, and, and I can uh, uh, attest that all three of them came into this world buck naked. They, they didn't. They, they, they were not holding any golden rings. There was no checks in their hand. They came into this world with nothing. And, 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 and frankly, babies are beautiful, but babies are expensive, aren't they? It's like they, they don't come in offering money, they come in taking money. Like from the get go, it's like, hey, I, I need, I need, I need, I need, right? And so Paul's like, hey, we come in with nothing. We can take nothing out with us. But it reminds me of a preacher joke, preacher story about a rich man. He was nearing death and he had accumulated. Uh, a lot of work, he, he, a lot of wealth. He had worked hard in his life and, and he wanted to take some with him. And so this rich man ple- pleaded and pleaded and pleaded with God. God, can, can I take some with me? And God's like, no, you can't take anything out of the world. God, can just bring a little bit? And finally, in this conversation with God, God said, yes, you can bring one
0: bag. You can bring one bag. So this man fills his suitcase. He loads it up with gold bars. On
1: arriving at heaven's gates, he is there, and Peter's like, Um, sorry, dude, no bags allowed. All it, it all stays out here. He's like, No, 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 guy, and I worked this thing out. He said, I can bring him on, bag. I'll go check. So Peter leaves, goes and consults with God. Guy's here, he's got his suitcase. He's go, oh. Yep, yep, he's allowed, he's allowed in one bag. Peter comes back to the gate, and he is just astonished. He's like, This has never happened before. No one has been allowed to bring. Can I see in your bag and and, and see what, 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 what God is allowing in? And Peter, he's
0: absolutely, Peter opens up, suitcase opens up, he sees the gold bars and he goes, bringing in pavement? See, worldly wealth does not equate to heavenly riches.
1: Godliness brings great gain, not only for this life, not only for the life to come, but also for the life here. See, the more we live in step with how God desires us to live, the greater joy, the greater peace that we have in our life here. God knows how our life works best. He is our creator. He's the, he said, this is the way that you should follow. And the way we should, the, the, the way we should follow points and leads us to godliness, godliness. A life that is free from strife, from envy, from friction that Paul talks about earlier. It doesn't doesn't mean that it's going to be easy. It doesn't mean that there won't be any friction. But I believe the more and more we live according to God's plan, we see those moments of friction and of difficulty and of envy and of strife come far less. We we, we have ways of escape. We have ways around. We have ways to, to, to navigate those difficult times because God has given us a roadmap. And Paul points back to the dangers that, 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 that are mounting on those false teachers, the, the, the dangers of worldly riches. He says they fall into a trap. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. He says what they've done is they've, they've changed out their God. No longer are they following in step with what God has offered. No longer is he, they, they following in step with, with, with the God of scripture, but they have changed out their God. No longer is it God, our creator, but it's the God of money. And maybe we've seen it in, in our world. Maybe it's not always money. Maybe it's, it could be any other thing that we've, we've swapped out for, for the God who created us. And we've put this other God in its place. And Paul says, when, They've done this. They've invited temptations into their life. Foolish and harmful desires that can lead them to ruin and destruction. As people begin to pur- pursue things that aren't ultimate ends. The gods of this world, the lowercase gods of this world, they promise much, but they leave us awful, awful, oftentimes
0: wanting more. In need of more. They never truly satisfy. They're not content. And when we're not content with godliness, when we find that we need a
1: different reward, we find ourselves plunging towards ruin and destruction. The false teachers were not chasing godliness. They were chasing their own gain. The reward was money. And money in and of itself is amoral, right? It's, It's neither good nor bad. But it can lead, a pursuit of it can lead to destruction especially when it becomes our ultimate end, our ultimate reward, our God. Paul says, for the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil.
0: And some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. This verse has been misquoted. It's when preachers get up and talk about money, they go, Oh, see the preacher just wants more money. It's not, Money, it's the love of It's the pursuit of money. So if I come up here and say, hey,
1: you guys need to give more so I can get paid more, then all of a sudden I've taken this verse and I've made money my God. But if my, the pursuit of my life is godliness, being content with what give, g- g- God gives me. And so I'm encouraging you to do the same, that we walk, it, it, we, we walk in the same steps of generosity that we share, that we don't... Uh, hoard and hold on to more than we should, that we share and be generous with the money that we have, all of a sudden we begin to find more godliness and more
0: joy in our life as we share with those who are around us. The verse has been so misquoted and
1: taken out of context, both inside and out of the church. It's not about the possession of money. There have been many Christians around the world over time that have used the great financial resources that they have to help those who are in need. We, you hear stories about how uh, people have been purchased from slavery, how clean water wells have been, have been built in, 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 in villages that, had no, had, that previously had no clean water. The financial resources of those in the church that have helped impact communities, both in their community and around the world. Having financial wealth is not evil. But a love of
0: money and an unhealthy pursuit of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So when God gave Moses the Ten Commandments, the very first one that Moses brings
1: down, the very first one that God gives to Moses is, have no other gods before. Have no other gods before me. I, I, ought, I, I should be number one on the list. God says, God says, it, it starts, it ends with me. If I am your focus, everything else will fall in line. But once you change who's at the top, once you change what is your greatest focus, everything else will begin to fall apart in your life. God knew that we would be distracted by so many other things. He also knew that all those other gods would never satisfy. And so all of sin is ultimately idolatry. All of sin is ultimately about taking who's at the top, what is our main priority, our main goal, and swapping it out for something else. And we've all done this. We've all broken God's law, and we must all face its penalty.
0: The penalty for sin, God said, is death. The separation from me. God created us to have relationship with him. But his holiness demands justice. For God
1: to maintain his holiness, sin had to be punished. And for God to maintain his relationship with us, that punishment had to be exacted on someone else. And so Jesus came to be a sacrifice for our sins. In theological terms, it's called uh, substitutionary atonement, that there is someone else who paid the price for us. Paul would say it this way to the church in Corinth, that God made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God that our God would die in our place so that as we broke his law the punishment the price that paid for the breaking of the law did not fall upon us it fell upon his son so that we might walk in freedom so that we might uh, uh, be restored to relationship with him that we might be uh, have an even greater reason not to take him off the throne of our life
0: because he's paid the price For us, the question becomes, is, are we content Jesus? Are we content with Jesus? For godliness with
1: contentment is great gain. Are we content with Jesus? or Are we looking for something else, something better? Have we quietly in our life begun to edge God out? Because maybe, maybe there just might be something else better
0: out there. Or have we learned in our life that all that other stuff is noise? All that other stuff is just
1: uh, calling and begging for our attention. But it will never truly satisfy. So this morning, the question is, are we going to continue to edge God out of our life? Are we going to focus our lives on him? Are we going to be content with godliness and find great gain in him by exalting God only? So maybe today, Maybe today is the day that you need to choose Jesus as your Savior. But choose him to be the only one that you will exalt, the, that he is the God and Savior of your life, that you will want to walk in step with him today. We want to celebrate with you and, and, and help you begin in your faith journey. And you can let us know by filling out the connection card at cchmd.com slash connect. And down the line there, you'll see a box that says, become a Christian. We'd love for you to... Check that box and when you submit that, it will be drawn to our attention. We'll follow up with you and, and celebrate with you as you begin your faith journey. You can also just simply text the word LIFE to 240-347-0897. See, so we all must ask. We all must ask in our life. Are we going to pursue godliness? Are we going to pursue goods? Are we going to pursue godliness and contentment with him? Are we going to seek God? Uh, our contentment and possessions and, and, and money and
0: things around us. See, many of the false teachers that Paul referred to, once believers, they once
1: followed Jesus. But for some, for some money, for others, fame became distractions to their life. And began to call attention and begin to pull attention away from the pursuit of Jesus. For us today, it may be sports. It be trips, it be games, activities, friends, other things. And I begin to call for our time. And many different things can pull us away from our
0: pursuit of God. Which, which do we love? More? Is our life going to be content. With God and God alone. Or will we always be seeking something. more? Maybe
1: the question should be, is God holding out on us? Do I need something more than just him?
0: We find in him all that need. Our prayer for us today is that we no longer edge God out, that we begin to exalt him only, exalt him more and more, that we'll find contentment, great gain in our pursuit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you. Thank you for the way that you've so enriched our life. Father, you've given us so many abundant blessings. Father, may we live generously for you. Father, may we uh, consult
1: you that instead of uh, looking for something else, Father, may we find in you contentment what you so richly provide for us. Father, would you help us uh, to walk in step with you? And as we walk in step with you, would you you help teach us and show us uh, what we are to do? And, and, and in that, Father, would we be obedient to walk in step with you, to, to share generously with others of the resources you've blessed us with. That you would help us to give to others who are in need, that they may uh, have what they previously did, that they may know of your
0: love through a simple act of obedience on our part. Father, may we make much of you. Father, may that be uh,
1: the, the goal and the point of our life, to make much of you and not to make much of ourselves, that, that you would be
0: made great in all that we do and all that we say, that you would be glorified as we follow. Father, we've seen as we begin to edge you out of our life,
1: we see greater strife, we see greater scars, we see addictions and troubles and hurts. Father, could have been avoided by following you. Would you help us to encourage others along the way See and to know you, to walk in step with you, to know of your great love. Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the, the hope that we have in Him. You help us to share that with others as we go. We would share you
0: boldly, that we would invite others to know you, that they too experience the freedom we have. In Jesus' name I pray. We're glad that you're here with us this week, brother, joining us in the house, or online. We hope that you have a great week, and we'll see you again next Sunday.